Turn, if you would, to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. We will finish the 14th chapter today. I know, you've heard it before. Well, Friday we went down to uh, Temple to spend the day with my daughter for her birthday. And uh, I had a long chat with some young man. So it looks like next summer we'll be having another wedding. (sighs) So we'll be passing the plate at the end of the sermon. We've been uh, working our way through the 14th chapter. We kind of started in the middle, or about verse 6 or 7 or something, where it talked about the fact that we are to be fully convinced that what we're doing is in keeping with the Word of God. We are to study the Word of God. We are to ask godly um, counsel from people. And we are to depend on the Holy Spirit to convince us of what is right and what is wrong. But the chapter is about the fact that having done that, we have to accept the fact that some people may end up in a different place. And the question is, how are we as believers to deal with other believers who have differences of opinion about disputable matters? And as we talked about two weeks ago, a disputable matter is not something that we dispute, That's not the only definition because there is no, there's nothing having to do with the Christian faith that is not disputed by someone. A disputable matter is an area that the scripture is either silent on or is open to different interpretations. We talked about drinking. We talked about eating certain foods, which is the discussion that Paul is having with the church at Rome. Different people, different backgrounds, different dietary laws, some coming out of the pagan background, some coming out of the Jewish background, some following this and that. And he said, don't despise each other because you have differences of opinion. And last week's lesson, we talked about the fact that the person who eats meat does so to the glory of God, to the honor of God. The person who abstains and eats only vegetables does that to the glory and honor of God. So whatever we're doing, we ought to be doing it to the glory and honor of God. In fact, that's the definition of what is right and what is wrong. It isn't whether you eat meat or don't eat meat or eat vegetables or don't eat vegetables or fill in the blank with your favorite disputable matter. So we pick up today in verse uh, 13 where we're going to talk about what to do in our actions in dealing with people who have these different opinions. Now remember we are talking here about believers. This is us dealing with other believers. Remember that. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We're going to talk today about causing other people to stumble. What does that mean? Well, you know, we can think of the obvious examples. Let's say you had a friend who was blind. You went over to the friend's house He has the house memorized, okay? He knows where every object is. He can walk through that house confidently because he knows where everything is. But just out of fun, I mean, ha, 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 let's move the sofa eight inches in the other direction. And what's he going to do? He is confidently going to walk through the house, and he's going to run straight into the sofa. Wouldn't that be funny? No. No, that is putting a stumbling block in front of someone else. And in this case, a fellow believer. So most of us aren't blind. Some of us have a little trouble seeing, but we won't go there. 
Most of us aren't blind, but we all have blind spots. We all have things that we have trouble seeing sometimes. Attitudes in relationships, things that I do that you don't do, things that you do that really tick me off. You know the picture, right? What do we do as fellow believers that causes, that hinders the maturity of other believers? What do we do that puts a stumbling block in front of them? And that is what Paul is going to address today. And once again, he's talking about believers. We as believers put a lot of stumbling blocks into the world around us. Paul says elsewhere, I mean, the resurrection is a stumbling block. This is a stumbling block. The fact that we believe the Bible is a stumbling block. The fact that unbelievers don't believe should not surprise us. That's kind of built into the definition, right? Unbelievers don't believe until the Holy Spirit illuminates it in their lives. We'll wait for the Holy Spirit to do that. We're talking about believers putting stumbling blocks and hindrances in the way of people that are maturing or not. I might add there's a kind of a discussion in this whole chapter about who's talking to whom, okay? Chapter 15, we are going to talk about verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Obviously, within a Christian community, there are believers who are more mature and there are uh, believers who are less mature. That's exactly what you would expect, right? People are coming into the community regularly. They are accepting Christ. They are joining the church. They come in and they are living like good old-fashioned pagans. Why? Because they were good old-fashioned pagans. And we, the community of believers, in love, need to help them on their maturity. So in chapter 15, verse 1, he's clearly talking about the weaker brother is the phrase that we use. I would contend that in today's lesson, we're also talking about the weaker brother. But it is possible that we're just talking about a mature believer who has a difference of opinion regarding a disputable matter. So, our number one goal is to not hinder anyone's maturing in their faith. What does that mean? Let's keep going. Therefore, let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Just stop it. Huh. Why are you chuckling? Let us not pass judgment. What does it mean to pass judgment? Or what does it not mean to pass judgment? We as a community of believers have been given the word of God. We as a church believe that the word of God is the inspired, inerrant word of of God delivered to us to tell us what is necessary for faith and salvation. That's what's been given to us. We have been told that some things are acceptable to God and some things are unacceptable to God and some things it doesn't talk about. It doesn't talk about driving cars. Okay? It just doesn't. So you can be a good Amish and drive your horse cart down the street. It doesn't say anything about using this microphone here. It doesn't say anything about the electric lights. So we acknowledge the fact that there are things that the scripture does not deal with directly. Now, it does talk about obeying the civil authorities. So when you are driving your car, there are certain things you should and shouldn't do. It talks a lot about anger so when you're driving your car, there's certain things you should and shouldn't do. You would never get angry driving your car, right? 
I'm probably the only person that that ever happens to. I have to repeatedly tell my kids, okay, I'll stop talking at the other cars. (laughs) I always say nice things about them, though. (laughs) So what does it mean to make a judgment about a believer when we know that there are certain things that we are told to hold each other accountable to. Well, the reality is there's other things that we're not told. And even the things that we are told, we have to accept the fact that I am not God, and God is going to deal with it eventually. We saw this earlier on in the chapter. Why are we acting like the master when God is the master and God will hold people accountable. We, us, collectively, are all in exactly the same boat. We are all maturing to be conformed to the image of Christ. And and to do that, we need each other. That was what we saw in chapter 12 when we dealt with the spiritual gifts in the body. We all need each other. So if I'm going to sit here and cast judgment on you, I'm not helping you mature, and I'm probably not helping me mature, because I'm too busy looking at you and your failings rather than looking at God and his holiness. I am the wounded soldier helping another wounded soldier make it through the battlefield. And if I stop in the middle of the battle and say, you stupid jerk, you wouldn't have gotten shot if you didn't do this, then I'm not helping him, and I'm not helping me mature. Why are we so excited about judging each other as if God had given you that job? Once again, We are called to hold each other accountable to the word of God. But we are not to do it in a judgmental fashion. A quick test. If you enjoy doing it, don't do it. That's just a quick test. If you take any pleasure in it at all, don't do it. And also remember what Christ said. Why do you deal with the speck in your brother's eye when you have a two-by-four in your own? That's a loose translation, but pretty close. We deal with the issues that God has put in front of us so that we are then in a position to help other people in their maturity. Instead of sitting here going, look at you. Aren't you a lousy Christian? Hmm, we would never do that, would we? Hmm? (laughs) At least not in public. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. It's kind of interesting, the any longer part of it. The implication is you were doing this yesterday. Don't do it today. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, this is Paul talking, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about food. He's talking about Jewish dietary laws where certain things were clean and certain things were unclean. And he, good Good, good, Jewish taught leader of the Jewish community knew those dietary laws backwards and forwards. He knew which slices of meat he could eat. He knew which animals he could eat. He knew all of that stuff. And here he says, I know and have been convinced by the Lord that nothing is clean or unclean. He's become convinced in the Lord, that nothing is clean or unclean. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. 
This is the discussion we had two weeks ago that bothers, the, bothers us just to no end. I mean, if you came from a background like mine, you look at this and you go, ooh, this is relativism. This is I can do whatever I want to as long as I think it's right to do. That's not what it's saying. This is why we started this whole discussion about what it takes to be convinced in your own mind. There are those who came out of the Jewish tradition and they did not eat pork. The day after they were saved, they still believed they shouldn't eat pork. I mean, wasn't Jesus a good Jew? Yes, he was. Wasn't it the same God that said, don't eat, that now sent Jesus? Yes, it is. Then we shouldn't eat pork. And the day after they were saved, they didn't eat pork. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. But Paul understood that grace, that grace that led God to draw the Gentile community to himself. What God was teaching is that nothing created by him was in and of itself unclean. God gave those dietary laws to the Jewish community for a reason. They were perfect and right at the time that God gave them. But God has opened Paul's eyes. I can imagine. I mean, I I can just envision this, okay? Paul becomes a believer, goes through all that hassle, goes through the teaching, goes through all of that, and he's on his first missionary's journey, and he's invited to somebody's house for dinner, and of course he says yes because he's trying to win the, Jew, the uh, Gentile converts, and he goes to their house, and they slop a pork chop down on his plate. And he knows that that Gentile, that Gentile, is not unclean, that Gentile was created in the image of God, that Gentile is being drawn to Christ, and he, Paul, has been called to witness to that Gentile. And so he eats the pork chop. But the point is, if you're going to eat that pork chop, you'd better understand that God says it's okay to eat the pork chop. If you don't understand that, then you are to refrain. In disputable matters, you do not go further than God's grace and his guidance in your life warrants. We're going to end the chapter with anything that is not done by faith is sin. So if you do not believe that eating that pork chop is okay with God, you are to refrain. But Paul says, I am totally convinced, totally 100% convinced. I have been to the Gentile community. I have witnessed to the Gentiles. I've heard from God. God gave the vision to Peter. I've heard the vision of Peter. There is nothing unclean. I know that. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat. I go to the restaurant. There is the new convert at the table next to me. Came out of the Jewish background. He's eating his lamb. They can eat lamb, right? He's eating his lamb. That's kosher. He's eating his lamb. I order the pork chops. Mm. And he looks over at me, and he goes, huh, something's wrong here. And his maturity and growth is hindered by watching me eat the pork chop. And at this point, we will add, he is the weaker brother. He is the one who has not progressed in his faith. I am not to despise him because of that. I am not to look down on him because of that. But his growth is hindered by watching my actions. What am I supposed to do? 
order a beat? Uh, no. <laughs> he said order a BLT. I wouldn't go with that one. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you, you, you are no longer walking in love. Huh. It's not his problem. He doesn't know any better. He is the weaker brother. You are hindering his growth, and you are not walking in love. Huh. By you are not walking in love by what you eat do not destroy the love destroy the one for whom Christ died so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil and remember we're dealing with believers here there's lots of things that you and I believe today that the outside world is convinced are wicked and evil okay that's their problem they'll have to deal with god with that not us we're talking about believers here yes go ahead Yeah, because I didn't want to eat them, right? <laughs> His comment was about the herd of pigs, yes. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Memorize that verse. Question. What do we think is important in life? I hate to say this, but I wake up wondering what's for breakfast. About 9 o'clock, I start wondering what's for lunch. Sometimes shortly after lunch, I start wondering what's for dinner. And maybe there'll be an evening snack after the dinner, before I go to bed, so I can wake up and have breakfast again. <laughs> Not that my breakfast is that exciting. I was eating Cheerios this morning. My dog is obsessed with Cheerios. <laughs> really? I sit there and I throw Cheerios on the floor. And she goes berserk. She just loves them. Go figure. To what extent do we believe that our lives are directed, governed, controlled by our physical appetites? Ooh, that's bad. Maybe we should change the subject. To what degree do we think that our lives are controlled by my freedom to do whatever I want to, whenever I want to, do it. You know, we're very big on freedom in this country, and that's a good thing. Freedom is a good thing. The ability to come to this church and worship, the ability to speak when I want to speak, the ability to go where I want to go, all of those are good things. But we have taken that freedom to mean that I am, the phrase that I use all of the time, I am an autonomous human being and have the right to do anything that I want whenever I want to do it. And God gave me that right and to heck with you if you want to interfere with it. And Paul is telling us that's not love. Life is more than food or drink, or me proving to everyone that I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. It is interesting. There is a group of young believers, and I'll, without hesitation, say that they're believers, you know, who've gotten really into drinking because it proves that they're not legalist. Okay? And finally, one of these, this is all on the Internet, all these blogs going back and forth, you know, how they do. And finally, this good old-time pastor, who is not a legalist in any form or fashion, says, you know, all you're doing 
is rubbing your freedom in other people's faces just to show you can do it. That's not love. You may have the freedom to do it. And go do it. Go do it. But it's not love if you're doing it just to irritate other believers. If life is not a matter of eating and drinking, what is it a matter of? Righteousness, peace, and joy. (sighs) What is righteousness? Doing what is right. That's simple enough. Who defines what is right? God. God has told us what is right. God has told us what is wrong. Righteousness is doing what God has directed us to do. At this point, we could return to the first half of the book of Romans and have a long discussion, if we wanted to, to remind ourselves that we receive the righteousness of Christ. That is how we are saved. We are not dealing with salvation here. Okay? We are saved by the righteousness of Christ. But the Christian life... From that moment of salvation until the day that we die, the Christian life is working out that righteousness in our everyday life. What does that mean? I wake up in the morning and I go, what is right to do? And I do that. What is the scripture telling us? It's telling us that it's not love to put stumbling blocks in the path of a blind person or a less mature believer. That's not love. That's not righteousness. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace. What is peace? Harmonious relationships. Peace with God, that's what we obtained when we were saved. Peace with each other, that's what we are to strive for. We saw that in chapter 12. As much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Don't go poking people in the eye just because you think you have the right to do it. Don't do it. Live at peace with everyone. Work at having harmonious relationships. How does that carry over to the weaker brother? If I'm putting stumbling blocks, I am creating disunity. I am creating strife, which is not peace. In what way? In what way? Would that be an opportunity to show... Oh, yes. Right. And, and, and we talked about this last week. I mean, at some point, in private probably, the less mature believer should come to you and say, why do you think it's okay to eat that pork chop? And you explain. You explain why you believe what you believe without necessarily, or without at all, using it as a hammer to whack him over the head with. We talked about this last week, the fact that I do not drink. And if you came to me, I would tell you why I don't drink. Okay, I don't. But if you choose something else, if you want to have wine with your dinner, go do it. What's that to me? So I'm not going to use my convictions on a disputable matter as a club to beat you over the head with, but I will explain to you if you ask what my convictions are. And that's what will happen here. At some point, the converted Jew will begin to understand God's greater plan to include the Gentile community into the community of believers and will begin to understand that that whole cleanliness thing was a separation picture in the Old Testament, etc., etc., etc. And you can walk them down that path. I believe Paul walked down that path. I do. I don't think the day after his conversion he sat down and ate a pork chop. 
I mean, it doesn't tell us, but I don't think so. I think God walked him down a path, and that's what he does with all of us. We are to strive for peace and putting stumbling blocks and hindrances in other people, other believers' path is not showing peace. And then the final one is joy. What is joy? Go ahead. Acts 10, 11. So where was, where was Paul converted? Nine. So it's about the same time. But Paul wasn't really involved in the leadership of the community at all at that point. Peter was the leader of the community. And Peter had the vision. And Paul went out into the desert for seven years or something to be taught by the Lord. Okay. There's kind of this gap in there. Yes. Did y'all hear that? The elder board of this church commits to not drinking alcohol in public because they do not want to put a stumbling block in the way of a new believer who might see them engaging in that behavior. Now, it's interesting to me. I happen to like that principle, by the way. But it's interesting to me because there are some who would say, well, that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? If you'll drink at home and you won't drink in public, aren't you being hypocritical? No, not really. If I act like a believer in public and I don't act like a believer in private, then yes, I'm a hypocrite. But we acknowledge the fact that different situations sometimes require different behavior, all of which all of which is under the authority of God. So whether I drink or don't drink, as we just saw in this passage, God doesn't care. Life is not a matter of eating and drinking. But if I do it with the potential of harming the maturity of another believer, I've crossed a line. And you know what? Well, let's keep reading. Because Paul's going to say the right thing. It's amazing how he does that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If me not eating pork chops helps others mature, then I will not eat pork chops. Wait a minute. Aren't I giving up my Christian freedom? No, I am exercising my Christian freedom to give glory and honor to God in everything that I do. I am not a slave to my passions. I am not a slave to my eating and my drinking. That is the freedom that we saw in chapter 6. The freedom to take the members of our bodies and make them slaves to righteousness. That is what we saw in the first two verses of chapter 12, where we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. My body is not the most important thing in this universe. And if not eating a pork chop helps another person mature, I will not eat a pork chop. But you know what? I'm not doing it because I think eating pork chops is wrong. I'm doing it out of love. Now, 
At this point, we'll get back to this passage, but at this point I do want to throw in a little caveat, if you will. There are people who I would refer to, for lack of a better term, as professional weaker brothers. (laughs) These are those who should be mature. And they go around looking for things to be offended by. Have you ever met one of these people? Okay. You may have gone to a church of them. I don't know. These are people who are long-term believers. And they are watching you. They are really watching you to make sure you don't step over the line. And the moment you step over the line, I am going to be offended. And if I'm offended, you violated this passage and you're in deep trouble. To me, it's always been interesting. You look at Paul and his missionary journeys. Okay? And he takes this pagan convert with him. But before he goes, he has this pagan convert circumcised. Why did he do that? So he wouldn't be an offense to the Jewish community. He's on another mission trip, and there's another pagan convert. And the Judaizers, you remember the Judaizers? They're the ones who thought you had to be a good uh, Jew to be a good Christian. They demanded that this person be circumcised. And Paul said, nope, not going to do it. Why? If it was wrong for Timothy, why is it right for Timothy? Why was it wrong? Because they were trying to prove their point that you had to be a good Jew to be a good Christian, and Paul wasn't going to let that happen. He was going to defend the fact that salvation is by grace and faith alone, and he was not going to let them win that battle. Now, we don't want to offend people. And if being circumcised cuts down on the offense, no problem. But when the Judaizers show up, when the real legalists show up, I wouldn't tell you to poke them in the eye just for the fun of it, because that's unbiblical. But you don't have to submit to their legalism just so they won't be offended. We are talking here about true, weaker brothers. And you know who they are. You have dealt with them in in your life. You've seen that young believer who just came to Christ and they're struggling with, is this right, is this wrong? And some of it you say, don't worry about that yet. The Holy Spirit will deal with that later. Some of it you say, okay, maybe you shouldn't stop, maybe you should stop living with that girl who you're not married to. Oh, okay. I mean, you just, you work with them You help them along, but you acknowledge the fact that it's really the Holy Spirit who is guiding them. And you can do that. If you've dealt with the two-by-four in your own eye, you know the difficulties of dealing with the splinter. If you've never dealt with the two-by-four in your own eye, the splinter is a piece of cake. Yeah, just get over it. I mean... I think about that in my own life. You know, I would talk to somebody in my younger days who had a drinking problem and wanted to get over it. And I'd say, well, just stop it. Just don't do it. And then I started reading and talking to people about the true power of an addiction. You know, I was listening to a guy on the radio last year, and he was talking about the fact he'd been sober for 17 years. Every day he wakes up once a drink. That's hard. And all of a sudden, your compassion goes up. He still needs to stop, but your compassion and understanding goes up, and all of a sudden, it's not you whacking him over the head with the law of God. It's you and him helping each other across the battlefield that is this world. That's what we're supposed to do. And if, if I can remove a stumbling block, by refraining from certain behavior that I may accept the fact that I have the freedom to do. But by restraining myself, I help them on their path 
of maturity, go for it. Why? Because that's what love is. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of food. Let's get these scales right, okay? Here is food. Here is the other belief. Food is down here. The maturity of the other believer is way above it. But we don't like that. We like to be in control. We like to do what we want to do. That's what our society teaches us. The autonomous self. The right to do anything that I want to do when I want to do it. That's why they hate the word of God. The nerve of somebody telling them what to do. And we as believers continue to struggle with that. We continue to think, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to lose my authentic self just to please some other person. We are not demonstrating love. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Just don't do it. At this point, at this point, we could have a long discussion, but I'm not sure where it would go. There's not many of us today that get too wrapped up about eating pork chops. But the question is, what are the behaviors that we engage in that hinder others from growing in Christian maturity? We need to accept the fact that other people are looking at us. They're watching us. I mean, I dealt with this and, you know, with young children you clearly know, okay, if I watch this kind of thing, they're going to watch that kind of thing. If I read this kind of thing, they're going to read that kind of thing. And at some point, they'll go off on their own and do whatever they want to do, right? That's the maturing process, I guess. I mean, what's the old saying? What we excuse in moderation, others will excuse in excess. We need to accept the fact that other people are watching us as they are on their path of maturity. And that's okay. That's expected. That's what life is all about. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Hmm. I might add, there is an uh, implication here very clearly that we are living in community, that we're around each other enough that we do watch each other. This idea that I'm going to be a Christian and not, not let anybody know about it, that I'm going to be a Christian and do my own thing, it's not really very biblical. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. That's an odd comment. Aren't we supposed to share our faith? Yes. Every chance you get, you are to share the gospel. You are to share the truth of God's word. You aren't supposed to spend a lot of time sharing your convictions regarding disputable matters. I'm not going into the world to try to convince people to drink or not drink. To say that is irrelevant is an understatement. Once again, I'll tell you if you ask me. I will. But it's not that important. It isn't that important. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Huh. 
I do certain actions. I think they're okay. I'm convinced by God that they're okay. But I see the effects of them on the people around me. And I go, maybe that wasn't what I thought it was. And you have to pass judgment on yourself. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. Here's another sentence for you to memorize. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What is faith? We always get back to Hebrews. It's doing strange things. We always get back to Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. I think that's the King James Version. (laughs) Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe two things, that God exists. When I do any activity... Any activity. Am I doing it acknowledging that God exists and that he is the creator of the universe? You go, wait a minute. What what does that mean? I'm driving the car. What does that mean? Do I do it acknowledging that God exists? Well, I would contend it would change your driving. Okay? Okay? Do I drive my car just like the atheist drives his car? Do I raise my children just like the atheist raises their children? And they may be good people, by the way. They may love their kids, okay? But are we doing it the same way? When I eat, do I do it just like the atheist? When I sleep, when I, when, I, when I fill in the blank with all the rest of your life, we, in our nice minds, compartmentalize our lives. We come to church on Sunday. That's God's day. So on Sunday, I think about God. Monday, that's work day. And I think about whatever my boss wants me to think. And if that's not Christian, well, that's the real world. You've heard these phrases, right? No, we're not to have that compartmentalization. We are to live our lives to God on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, and every other day that ends in Y. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Question. And what I'm doing, what I'm doing right now, does it demonstrate that I am diligently seeking after the rewards of God and not the rewards of fill in the blank, our society, those around me, etc.? What does it take to do that? It takes faith. Whatever you do, do it by faith. You're eating that pork chop, and you know that that person over there is offended by you eating that pork chop. You know it. They're a young believer, and you know they're offended. Are you living your life for God, or are you living your life for yourself? Are you living your life with regard to God's rewards or the reward of having a good dinner? Are you living a life that is diligently seeking to please God, or are you living a life that is diligently seeking to please your own appetites? And Paul says, that's not a faith if you're doing it, to seek your own ends. So, what is the conclusion of the chapter? 
Whatever you do, do to bring glory and honor to God. Whatever you do, be convinced that it is what God wants you to do. Whatever you do, do it out of faith, acknowledging that God exists and acknowledging that you're doing it to seek his good pleasure. And accept the fact that in disputable matters, other believers, particularly less mature believers, may end up in a different spot. And it is not your job to get them off that spot. It is your job to not despise them, to not look down upon them, and not to put stumbling blocks in front of them. Because that's how you demonstrate love. And God likes that. God likes it when we pursue righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's interesting because we kind of got sidetracked, but it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what Ephesians teaches us. There is one God, one spirit. He's in all the believers. If we are all, in fact, believers, and we are to seek after unity. And we are to not cause another one to stumble just to show that we can. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouragers to those around us, that we would all help each other on our path of maturity wherever we are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.